bienvenidos, and welcome to episode 33 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the Salino to my bars, Jonah Birch. Jonah, if you had not become a sociologist, what career path do you think might have attracted you otherwise? Podcaster, a number one, pod, you know, <laughs> professional. That is, that is correct. <laughs> Game show host. Game show host. I like that for you. Yeah, I think that could that could have worked out for me. I feel like, you know, I would have done really well on Sports Center, but like ninety Sports Center. You know, I could come up with a catchphrase and. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I I have a, a head large enough to compete with Keith Olbermann, but far <laughs> more integrity. You know, and uh, yeah, I would have done some really good. I would have had some fun you know, historical references I would have thrown in there. So yeah. there would have been a lot. There would have been a lot going on there. That would have worked out well for me. Yeah. You'd have been like the, the leftist Dan Patrick on TV. I would have been the leftist Dan Patrick. Uh, really, uh, it's kind of a, a niche role. It's true. But, you know, one that has gone un, unfilled. <laughs> for a long time. Say. Long That's time. That's true. Yeah. Can I say, well, I feel like we have to talk about Marcus Smart. And just the the wonder that is Marcus Smart's tw- internet, his social media presence. Mm-hmm. And th- there is a... I, look, I get it. People hate Boston and Celtics fans, but there is a delightful symbiotic relationship between Marcus Smart and weird Celtics Twitter mm-hmm. that involves Marcus, Marcus Smart making kind of vague historical allusions... And then weird Celtics Twitter inventing just endless memes that place Marcus Smart <laughs> in the role of various leftist historical figures. Uh, you know, so uh, in, in particular, uh, Robespierre during the yes. French Revolution. And who can forget Marcus Smart's 2019 tweet celebrating the reign of terror? Uh, and, <laughs> yes. you know... You know, and uh, a, a much maligned, misunderstood historical period, I would say, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. under the Jacobins, under, uh, you know, the incorruptible himself, Robespierre, really this the Marcus Smart of his era. And now we have Marcus Smart, you know, and, and his, uh, you know, references to John Adams, which, uh <laughs> On the one hand, Weird Celtics Twitter did just delightful things with. On the other hand, the Boston sports media, the bane of my existence, uh, tried to attack Marcus Smart for, and it was disgusting. Just That was absolutely disgusting. Anyway, the only that's the only negative to come from this whole situation. That's what I would say. I can't imagine Boston sports media having anything interesting at all to add to that. Like, like I remember... Being at a friend's house once, and they made artichoke, and it had some, some dip that I it was some pinkish dip, and it was delicious. I didn't go there expecting artichoke. I didn't go there expecting to fall in love with this dip. But like those are the kinds of nights that you live for, where like something just shows up in your life. I never imagined Marcus Smart would be tweeting about the rankings of various U.S. presidents, and I'm all here for it. And yeah. I don't trust that Boston sports media has anything. To add to that conversation, but I would really like to know, like, what does Marcus Smart think of FDR? Like, does he give him credit great question. for the New Deal? Does he not? What does he think of Truman dropping the bomb? You know, what does Marcus Smart make of 
All these historical events. It's really true. Lyndon Johnson, you know, right. uh, people, uh, the uh, liberal universe is, uh, today has somehow become far too soft on Lyndon Johnson, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, I, because they, they credit him with a war on poverty. Turns out that was not the only war Lyndon Johnson fought. It was not. Uh, it, it was not. Yeah, so if people don't understand what happened, Marcus Smart, uh, as part of an advice to a young, budding basketball player on Twitter, said, you know, you got to put a lot of effort in. Focus on the defense where, you know, your right. effort can win out. You know, really commit yourself and know, it, you know, just like no one remembers the second president, no one remembers second place here. It was right. sort of a, it was a Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby illusion. If you're not first, <laughs> you're last. Right. Uh, but but also, so then there are a series of people who tweeted back like, oh, you should read David, you know, the pop historian David McCullough who wrote this, <laughs> you know, a very uh, engaging but sort of derivative and hagiographical book about, about John Adams. Oh, you should read David McCullough. Oh, there's a wonderful miniseries on HBO. Also entertaining, but just filled with historical errors. And I want to say, listen, motherfuckers, stop telling Marcus Smart to go learn about John Adams. Maybe he knows more about this than you do, you know? That is that is my my response to this in, entire thing. Marcus Smart doesn't seem like he needs anyone's help. He seems to he be doing need, okay. He does not need your help. He does not need your help. <laughs> and I don't give a shit if you have like a David McCullough book by your bedside. I don't care. You know, you're reading the wrong stuff anyway, I say, so... Uh, uh, let me ask you this, and, and I think this is an interesting question. Do other fan bases hate their local media the way that the Celtics fans do? Do Knicks fans, do Lakers fans hate the local media? Do Clippers fans, do Bulls fans? Like, is there the same relationship of, of furious anger and disgust and what, what, what yeah. I think it depends on the market. So, for example, I, I don't guess that Laker fans hate the media because I don't think the L.A. media has any kind of a negative impact on the Lakers. The Lakers' whole shtick is exceptionalism and the ability to draw like stars at all times. And I don't think the media there hurts them in that regard. Um, New York, there are certainly sports and times... And, and there's been more voice given to this this century than last century, this idea that the New York media keeps big players away from the Knicks because they don't want to deal with the negativity. I would say that's that's mostly bullshit. There's a lot more reasons that big players don't come to the Knicks, and it's not the media. And I would say also James Dolan, the owner's media policy, is extremely... The players basically don't have to talk almost at all, so... Uh, it is a feeling in certain markets, but I, I think it's usually an excuse because the Yankees are subject to more media than probably any team in this country. And the Yankees do not ever bitch about the media hurting them with anything. But the Mets sometimes will, and I think that's probably a cover for you don't know what you're doing um, and you blame it on the press. But, but let's say this. Because I've heard this too. That's one of the responses from the Boston sports media. What? So one of the things, literally people talk about this openly, they'll say is, oh, we're accused of being, and you'll hear this on like um, sports radio in Boston. We're accused of being so negative 
that, you know, players don't want to stay and, Mm -hmm. oh my God, it used to be so much worse. You should have seen the sports coverage 20 years ago. Everyone is soft as hell on these people. And on the one hand, you know, that's true to a certain extent. Definitely the, you know, sports writers, there isn't Mm -hmm. nearly, it's a much more friendly relationship than it used to be locally. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also agree, it's not, the problem is not that, that you're causing the team problems or you're driving players away. It just creates a, a shitty, ultra-negative atmosphere that is uh, often undeserved, you know, uh, and in a, in a way that, I mean, I don't know. I, like, I look at Philadelphia right now, and I say, however negative the sports media is about Ben Simmons, the fan base is at least as negative, right? Yeah. The, the media is not saying anything that the fan base does not feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I, Then I look at coverage around the Boston teams. But people are really, so first of all, Boston sports media, particularly the kind of sports radio, hates Marcus Smart, hates him, goes after mm-hmm. him constantly, blames him for all sorts of things that are not his fault. But they mm-hmm. also attack Jason Tatum. How can you attack Jason Tatum, who even in the middle... During a year in which he got COVID, you know, like uh, had an incredible, remarkable season Mm -hmm. and, you know, is, uh, as we all know, permanently 19 years old. Uh, It's just, (laughs) uh, what do you want exactly, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, it's a, um, there's a very tense, antagonistic relationship between the fan base and the, the media there, I guess I would say, you know, particularly radio coverage, but uh, but also... Um, you see it in other other areas as well. Anyway, yeah. We're going to talk a little more at the end. I have some Tatum questions I'm going to run by you. But let us begin today. We're going to touch on a few things today. Some NFL, little baseball, WNBA playoffs, an EPL question I have for Jonah, and then a little bit of Tatum. And then a, an, I, can't, I realized last week I keep calling them viewers, a listener email NBA question. That came in just today, so we'll get to that also. Um, let's start with this this general NFL question for you, Jonah, which is we're two games in for pretty much everybody. The NFL, seven teams are currently undefeated, um, a mix of established powers and some surprising newcomers. The Raiders are undefeated, Denver, San Francisco, Arizona, the Rams, your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Carolina Panthers. I just want to know... Because obviously, you know, these teams will begin to lose. But do you prefer in sports as a fan, and I'm wondering if this intersects or contradicts with your politics, do you like dynasties or do you like when there's parity and more teams that have a chance? Of course I like dynasties. You know, as long as it's not a, a, a team I, I despise. I, I mean, let, let me ask you a question. Do you think anyone is, does anyone care about who isn't a Ravens fan about the whatever 2000, you know, I'm, I can't even, the 2000 Ravens, the Trent Dilfer team that won the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, who can, like, it's just not, a, there are some players, of course, that you'll remember. Right. But I, it, it's not a super memorable, you know, thing. Whereas, yeah, of course you want to see greatness. Now, is the implication here, is the question whether there's potentially any dynasties in the NFL right now? Because I'm not sure. No, I'm just specifically yeah. like, 
I'm specifically interested in 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 most in most areas of my life. I want diversity. I want egalitarianism. I want yeah. that, but like more so certainly in 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 like basketball, for instance. Um, and the NBA's history kind of correlates with this. The only decade the NBA did not have, um, I think, a single team that won back-to-back titles was the 70s. And there were other things right. going on then, too, but that was easily the NBA's least um, appealing decade. And when the, the league, there were other issues going on also that impacted. But There were other issues. There were other issues. A lot of other issues. There were a lot yeah. of other issues. But I think for all the, the griping that you'll hear, especially around CBA negotiations about trying to have parity, I don't think fans in a lot of sports mind at all i loved watching golden state like for those five years and and i don't i never had a problem with you know the heat or the bulls or the lakers back in the day like it's something it's a reason to watch but it's interesting to me that like this is the one apparently medium where I don't, I don't want diversity as much, or I don't want parity. And it just looking at the seven teams and undefeated. I mean, the Raiders aren't. I don't even know if I would bet on the Raiders or Carolina to make the playoffs. Um, I'm just interested in, you know, when we see that sort of thing, are we like? Because when I think of the, and I think this is a lot of like how you grow up. When I grew up in the NFL, because it was still pre-free agency being what it is now, teams were together for years. So like, if I like the Giants. And then in the 80s and 90s, the 49ers were the 49ers for years. I had, like, strong feelings because it was the same people, the Bears, the Buffalo Bills. But now there's so much, you know, overhaul all the time that, like, and I haven't been in a football because the New York teams have sucked. But, like, nobody stays together that much. So I don't know how much I care about. I I don't know. There, There is something nice when it's your team coming out of nowhere, but. I just find it interesting that like I'll give me that dynasty, man. Like give me that entrenched power. Let me ask you this: Do do you remember before the current free agency rules in the NFL when there was Plan B free agency? I do. Uh, the the like oh. four or five years of Plan B free agency, which you know obviously you now you're like okay, this sounds like a you know, a, a, a reproductive threat, like a women's reproductive, yes. you know. Uh, but uh, but Plan B free agency it kind of eased us into the era of free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that that Miami Heat team, I don't know if it qualifies as a dynasty, winning back-to-back titles, even yeah. if you made four, four straight finals. Right. I 100% agree, though. I, the idea that the league was less entertaining because the Warriors were on top you know, and everyone else was trying to bring them down is horseshit. Utter horseshit. Total nonsense. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that for a second. Now, you know, in the NFL, I don't know, because I was always rooting for the Patriots, uh, I, I understand people hated the Patriots, hate the Patriots. Um, was it less fun to for, to try and bring bring them down? I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't buy that. And... Um, I, I want great and memorable teams, and I want to see great and memorable players, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, if Tom mm-hmm. Brady wins again, I won't be unhappy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And nor will I be unhappy if Tom Brady, uh, you know, I would prefer to see the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But if he plays Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl again, hopefully it'll be a better game this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I wouldn't be unhappy with that, right? I mean, that would be uh, now, you know... Yeah, if the Jets 
<laughs> if they are constructing a, a future dynasty, that would make me unhappy. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think you need to worry about that. Um, no, you don't think so. I really you don't, don't think so. I really don't. Speaking of, so I was as I told you, I think before the show um, last week, I was on Long Island for a few days for a wedding, and so. And I haven't had cable here since the NBA really ended. So I have been... So when I was downstate, I saw, I think, two or three Mets games, the Giants Thursday night game. And as I drove upstate, I heard the Jets-Patriots game on the radio. Every single game while I was down there, the New York team lost. Every single one. I watched the Mets lose like three more one-run games. The Giants had such a Jets loss. It was unbelievable. Um, Here's what I want to ask you, though. So there are now, just like there are seven undefeated teams, there are seven winless teams, including both New York teams, of course, the Jets and Giants, along with the Indianapolis Colts, the Jaguars, the Vikings, the Lions, and the Falcons. Do you believe any of those teams are capable still of making the playoffs? I Yeah, for for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, Who? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the Giants are, are uh, you know, I, there's still talent there. And uh, that was such a brutal. Loss. I mean, I don't know. Look, it's a 17 game season now, I know. right? An 0 and 2 start. I know it doesn't mean anything. It, it, the, 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 your start means very little. Mm-hmm. It really does. Uh, and um, the idea that you can count out other teams besides the Jets, who you can definitely count out, <laughs> uh, you know. But the rest of the league, I, I, no, I, I yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I don't think this, it, you know, that it's over even for the Giants. I, I would say this, you know, you have the stink of Long Island on you, clearly, my friend. And, uh, you know, <laughs> y- you need to somehow, you need to like, you know, whatever, come up with a concoction to like rub on your body or something <laughs> in order to get it off. If if the New York teams are going to have any hope uh, because it's been uh, it's been tough, tough going for them. And as we, I saw um, while I was down there when the Giants lost. The Giants, with that loss now, are 18-48 and 48 over their last season's yeah. games, which ties for the worst record of the NFL with your New York Jets. So it is just let me ask really you this question. terrible. <laughs> can, I, let me, can I ask you about some of these 0-2 teams? Please do. So how much do you think it's true that the, the Jaguars are the utter mess that people are, are you know whatever are 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 saying that they are and that urban meyer is as much is he as much of a disaster as the rumor mill is suggesting that's question number 1 question number 2 is is carson wentz just a shitty quarterback like is he just a bad player hmm. it, it, it you know and yeah. a, a little bit I, I don't know if you saw the interception he threw at the goal line and uh, you know, on the shovel pass, what a what a disaster! What is he doing? Let me uh, let me anyway. uh, let me start with the the Jaguar question. I think the yeah. Jaguars were going to be a, a rough team. Their offensive line is really not great, and when you spend your top pick on a quarterback, no matter how good he is, you know he's going to struggle anyway, and he's going to struggle more when I I just heard that Trevor Lawrence compared to Mac Jones. Mac Jones is averaging. His passes average like 3.1 yards in the air, and Trevor Lawrence's average 10. So that tells me that Mac Jones is in a system that's asking him to like keep things pretty simple. 
and Trevor Lawrence is in a place where he's running and throwing for his life, I think they would have struggled no matter what. I think, ironically, if they had not hired Urban Meyer, they might be slightly ahead of where they are because I think he's a maniac. I think he's the kind of person that that shows you that classic, like the fact that you're successful in one position does not mean that it automatically translates to a related position. Sure. Um, so I think, I don't think he's going to last even two years. And if they had someone who was more not a maniac and an NFL person, I think Jacksonville would be better. Um, but I think they were going to struggle, like no matter what. A Just bold because, prediction. Not even two yeah. years. Not even two. I would not. I would. I'm almost ready to say he doesn't last even after this year. Would you call him sort of a Tom Tom Coughlin figure? You know, a uh, he's just a little too too intense for and too much of a micromanager. Yeah, probably. And to Coughlin's credit, that's something that he learned and um, accepted about himself and made some changes, and it helped lead to his success later in his career. I just think Urban Myers is the kind of person who, you know, I hate the power imbalance in college football to begin with. And I think this is one of the human casualties of that whole industry where you are so used to being a fucking asshole and yeah. getting away a, with everything. A total Nazi. All you the can time. be a complete Nazi. Yeah. yeah. I think you, I think what you're seeing is someone struggling to adjust to a workplace where that doesn't fly. Um, yeah. So I would say that's what's going on with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, sorry, with Urban Meyer. As for Carson Wentz and the Colts, that one surprises me. I I don't think it's an incredible division. So I think, like you were saying, like I don't think the Giants are out of it at 0-2 because no one's really that good. I don't think the Colts are either. But, um, you know, as Yogi Berra used to say, it's getting early. It's getting late kind of early for Wentz to start showing, you know, what do you got. Um, yeah. It would be hilarious to me if the Colts brought in like Nick Foles, like halfway through the year, and he led them to a Super Bowl. That that you know, <laughs> that somehow this is first time as tragedy, second time as farce territory. Right. Or, you know, <laughs> yes, I, pretty much. The two best games that I watched last weekend were so, and these need qualification. So the Cowboys Chargers game, where so Justin Herbert. I'm going to sound like, what a cliche. I'm such an asshole. But he's on my fantasy team. And he kept having <laughs> touchdowns called back on these ticky-tack horseshit uh, penalties. You know, how many penalties did the Chargers have? Something like, uh, you know, a lot of penalties. They really, some of them were, they were shooting themselves in the foot. Some were pretty iffy. Uh, and, you know, it does make you, it makes you think about, you know, and the whole that uh, this was not uh, a major issue there, but the NFL cracking down on taunting, which is horrible yeah, and yeah, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, God forbid we have. Fun. You just want to say, look, the the refs, the the you're no one is here to watch you, and stop screwing my fantasy team, you assholes, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. particularly giving the 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 game to the the Cowboys. Um, you know, and, and the taunting thing, by the way, is going to become more of an issue. There's going to be a major call in the game uh, at, a, at a moment. And whoever wants this, I hate you. I just hate you. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what to say. You're a despicable person. You're, they're playing football. You're asking them to, to, 
you know, to to hurt each other seriously on the field, which, and maybe it, you know, you can definitely make a case that that's just an immoral thing to ask people. But then to say, if you make a good play, you have to like be demure about it or mm-hmm. something. Uh, it's just, it's just the stupidest fucking thing. And the, the, the racist, you know, undertones are barely under, mm-hmm. right? It's like the, uh, Oh, these players are, you know, too demonstrative. It's such, yeah. you know, classic kind of coded language. Might as well, inst- you know, institute an NBA-style dress code, you know, to get rid of the the thug image of the league or something. You know, it's just yeah. bullshit. So, I, you know, I don't like that at all. Uh, the game that was great, though, was the, the Kansas City-Baltimore game. Mm-hmm. And um, I have mixed feelings rooting for Lamar Jackson, you know, as, as a anti-vaxxer that he is <laughs> i think like you know i, I don't know why are, we're we're judging everyone's moral worth based on their perceived attitudes towards the vaccine at this point right i mean that's you can't follow sports if you uh, care least, about people's vaccine ideologies because nobody is like so i can't believe how much of sports is still there's a very funny meme someone showed um it was and it was athletes research it was it was a two pictures, and one was like NFL players researching um, CTE, and it's Will Smith in that movie where he's the the concussion doctor, and he looks very very serious yeah. and professional. And the next the next image says football players researching COVID, and like I think it's like SpongeBob holding like a, a tube or something. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw um, that. Right to your point just before that, I, th- I think is interesting about the taunting. Yeah. So I'm researching um, for a piece I'm doing. I had to do a very deep dive into the year 1992, and 1992 is a very interesting year where like all these people are convicted and imprisoned in like big cases, like Mike Tyson, Noriega, um, all these people. But sure. but a very interesting contrast is, um, and it's one that um, Public Enemy highlights in their song "Can't Trust It." Jeffrey Dahmer was convicted that year of life in prison, and the police who beat Rodney King that year were acquitted and there's something impossible to miss about the judicial system concluding like what what that state violence against rodney king what happened is okay for speeding and evading arrest what you did to him was okay jeffrey dahmer doing what he did he was able to walk into the courtroom without handcuffs on he's sentenced to prison but like no violence like no no state mandated suffering beyond incarceration and like there's something very barely coded there to me even though it's two different states it's california and it's wisconsin and like whatever it's impossible to for me not to see that juxtaposition of like one court telling rodney king what happened to you is right and another court telling the victims of jeffrey dahmer's crimes like he's just gonna walk away um obviously dahmer was ultimately killed in prison um, by another inmate, yeah, brutally, brutally killed. killed. But like, brutally killed. but again, it's in, it's there's a whole other conversation here. But it wasn't, and I don't support the death. I'm not pro death penalty at all. But there's just something unmistakable about where the state, and in this case, fans decide or the league decides. Sorry. You know where certain energy is welcome and where it's not. That's right. I mean, it's funny the Jeffrey Dahmer. The, the comparison here is very complicated. Jeffrey Dahmer committed. I mean, seven, his murders, his first murders, mm-hmm. uh, I think, in, uh, down the street from me, where I am right now oh, yeah? at the Ambassador Hotel in, in Milwaukee. Yeah. 
Um, you know, and uh, it was a brutal, awful, awful, obviously serial killer. Um, uh, yeah, and I mean, mostly and, killed and, you know, black and, and Asian men, black and Asian homosexual sure, men. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a right, totally. There was a whole de- deeply racist, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, for sure. And that's interesting. I want to hear more about this piece about ni- for about 1992. Quite a year. A lot going on Very there. Very interesting year. Um, I, I, you're totally right. And I would also say it feels very out of date now, right? I mean, the kind of moral panics that you saw around sports in the 1990s uh, and the early 2000s, and even before then, but particularly it felt like you know, and I just was showing students in one of my sociology classes, the Malice in the mm-hmm. Palace documentary, and it really highlights the response <laughs> to this is very tied in with fears about the least coded r- racist coded language. The word thug is getting thrown around mm-hmm. all the time afterwards. Is it a league of thugs? Gangsters and gangster wannabes. That's how Keith Olbermann yes. described the NBA after the Malice in the mm-hmm. Palace. Which, you know, you're just going, hey, fuck you, you know, and, uh, and then, um, yeah, and so, and the, all the stuff around the dress code was all wrapped up in this, and I showed my students a, a comparison between the Malice in the Palace and the incident in 1979 when the Bruins went into yes, the stands yes, at yes. Madison Square Garden, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the game, and... You know, I think, was it Jerry Cheevers or Terry O'Reilly was beating one of the fans with his own shoe? Yeah, and after the fans had come and punched them, you know, been punching them over over the glass during, uh, over the boards during, uh, you know, a fight between them and the Rangers. And the fallout from that, you know, people, so I, you know, there were some suspensions. I think um, some, the the longest suspension Mm -hmm. I think was eight games and there are a number of $500 fines. People look back on it as kind of a, you know, with a bit of nostalgia, yeah, right? It's yeah. like the rowdy seventies. To it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the just hysteria about this incident in two thousand four, uh, and the 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 speed with which people were ready to attack the players. A- anyway, this just harkens back to this different time, you know. And you can't escape with these kind of like conduct penalties that have nothing to do with the game themselves. You can't escape this feeling of you're trying to police a largely black set of players, right? And their behavior to craft a certain image that you think, I don't even know what will be more appealing to corporate sponsors or fans or when really, who gives a shit? Does anyone care if, you know, whatever, when a, when a, a running back, you know, gets a touchdown, if they're, you know, pointing in the face of the players on the other team, who cares? Does anyone care about that? I don't care. You know, I, you know, and I, I, I just don't believe that other people care. So I, I, I don't know what that, what is driving that. Do you think it's a response to some of the Kaepernick stuff? Uh, you know, is it, yeah, I, I, I don't no. understand why now. Yeah. I don't think there's any, I, I, I think when they do it, it's just about control. I don't think it has anything right. to do sure. with like any legitimate concern. Um, yep. Speaking of things that some people care about and some do not, Shona Birch, last week you announced to the masses, and it, it was it stunned the sports world. Our, our Jacobin phones in the studio were ringing off the hook when you said you do not want your Boston Red Sox to make the playoffs. And yet, 
A week later, here we stand, and the Red Sox are the. I know, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Let's say a month from now, Jonah Birch, the Red Sox are on the verge. They're up 3 nothing in the World Series. They're looking good. Are you going to remember what you said now and stick by it? No, no. Or are you going to be full of no, shit? No, I'm going to forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. No, of course not. But look, I still don't, I don't believe it's going to happen. Right. You know, I, my, Tell me something my off biggest the record. concern. Is this the ultimate reverse jinx? Or do you really, no, you really no, don't think it's going to happen? That's not what it is. Okay. No, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I I don't think that the team, the pitching is good enough, although they've been pitching very well recently. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the defense is good enough. And I think the team has too many holes, right? Okay. Uh, you know, they have been, they've been hitting the shit out of the ball again. The pitching has been really good the last week or so. Mm-hmm. They're in prime position to host the wild card game, right? The, uh, yes. the game to become the one game playoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I... The, the the Debbie Downer in me is certain that they're going to lose that to whoever they play. I I just hope it's to the Blue Jays and not to the Yankees. That is my main my main concern, you know. And uh, I I think it'll probably be to the Yankees, and that terrifies me. Let me ask you this question: Do you think that if the Yankees do not make the playoffs, Aaron Boone is definitely gone? Yes. You 100% he is not coming back. I don't think so. Not necessarily because it's all Aaron Boone's fault, but because the energy is there this year among the fan base that, like, someone needs to be sacrificed. Even if you listen to the Yankee radio team, John Sterling and Susan Waldman, or historically, you know, the biggest pom-poms on earth, people don't understand. People don't understand why this team is not clicking and it's not just, well, they swing for the fences, because everybody does. Um, this is a weird team this year. And and the biggest hallmark of this Yankee team has been their lack of consistency. They can win 10 in a row and look like the best team in the world. And they have recently played 10 games with the Mets, the Orioles, and the Indians. And they're 5-5 five and five in those games. They, have, they, they just can't sustain it, and nobody understands why. Like... Garrett Cole, he was out for a little bit, but like he's been good. Stanton's got 30 home runs. Judge is having a career year. Other people, you know, LeMayhew's been disappointing. Some people have been disappointed, but I think Boone's going to go because I don't think management. Boone's never done enough where like you have to keep him. They don't have any, he doesn't have some great record. And I think that someone has to go. And like it's never sure. going to be Brian Cashman. Um, and they they can't trade half the team. And Aaron Judge is beginning to defend himself in the media. And I think, um, yeah, I think I think Boone is gone because it, I don't know that it's his fault, but it doesn't it doesn't look like he's figured out how to fix it at any point. Maybe he can't, but they're not going to care if he can't. They're just going to care that he didn't. I mean, there are more disappointing teams out there, and I I would mm-hmm. say the Padres in particular, right? Which, sure. At the beginning that's of the a year, a big disappointment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, oh yeah, the Padres were like you're saying, the Padres were a preseason like World Series favorite. They're going to miss the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and they're imploding right now. And they, you know, mm-hmm. they've had mm-hmm. talk about a team that went all in, you know, and had yep. all these stars, and uh, you know, so. But I, you do feel like this is unsustainable for the Yankees, given the level of expectation the last couple of years, right? Yeah. 
Uh, and if they can't do it, if they don't even get into the playoffs, you got to think something is going to change. Something major. And, you know, they, they yeah. I think especially also, and I don't think this is Boone's fault, but I think it factors into everything. The Yankees, if they don't win this year, this will be like 12 years in a row that they haven't won a World Series. And they haven't done that since um, 95. Um, and just, it's not going to fly. It's not going to fly, and Aaron Boone makes a very good sacrifice. Um, can I can I make an uh, old old man complaint here? Please. Yeah, of course you can. On this show, you always can. Yeah, yeah. I, that's really, you know, <laughs> old man in the sea kind of complaint. I'm going to pop in my Werther's original while you make your complaint. <laughs> hey, those, they were delicious, huh? You know, my grandmother always had those. Uh, uh, of course. <laughs> So the the second wild wild card team and the the whole wild card game thing, uh, the one game playoff. I, I understand why it's done. Add some excitement, you know. Certainly, more, they want more playoff baseball. That means more revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, particularly in the National League, seems to me to be a perfect example of both why you should have the wild card and why you shouldn't have. You know why the the system. Such as it was up until a couple years ago, whatever, up until they instituted this last year, was fine. Was better, actually. Because the Dodgers are, you know, they're going to lose out to the to the Giants slightly. They're the two best teams in the National League. They should both be in the playoffs. But now the Dodgers have to host this one-game playoff, right? Is that how – that's what's going to happen? Yes. Maybe against well, the Cardinals. Well, whoever doesn't, whoever doesn't make it, yeah, we'll have to host – Probably St. Louis. Yeah. So, and uh, anything can happen. And that seems to me to be bullshit. You know, baseball is more than any other sport, of course, is a sport where uh, anything can happen in one game. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and the the playoffs already were plenty unpredictable. But, I, I, you know, I, that just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem fair to me, I guess. I I, I don't like it. And what I would really like, what everyone would really like, I think, I would like to see a Giants-Dodgers NLCS, right? Uh, You know, no offense to the Braves or to my now hometown Brewers, but a Giant, you know, that would be a great rivalry, two really good teams. Uh, And if if we don't get that because of some stupid one-game playoff, you know, that is not based on two teams being tied at the end of the regular season or even close to that, I mean, you know, the Cardinals are however many games back of, uh, you know, whatever it is, like 15 games behind the Dodgers or something. Uh, you know, I so it's not that. It's just because of this, these rules. I, I, I don't like it. I don't buy it, you know. Let me ask you this because this connects to the, the WNBA that I wanted to ask you about. So yeah. WNBA, also for the first two rounds, they use single elimination Playoff games, and I agree with you that in baseball, I've never really cared for a one-game playoff because I feel I I don't I don't think it's unfair. Like it doesn't bother me because I feel like you had 162 games to not be in this position. Here you are, but also there is something cruel about playing 162 games and having it come down to one game. That's terrible. Just seems terrible to me. Does it strike you the same way in the WNBA where I think they played 32 games? Yeah. Um, does it feel still to you like, oh, that sucks? Or because it's less games, maybe, 
does it feel like, well, that's not so unfair. Like it's, it's, it's odd to me that it's the first two rounds. Um, that seems like so too f- much. It seems like too much yeah. to me. Yeah. I yeah. mean, so the 32 game season does change things. I got to say, and I don't want to, you know, piss off your, your intense, you know, the New York basketball fan base. But the Liberty backing into this position, uh, again, a team that is 12 and 20. Let me, let now, me tell you something right now. It's just ridiculous. Right That's ridiculous. You Using the terminology back in for the Liberty is like someone saying that the U.S. backed into victory in World War II or the Allies backed it's into victory in World it War II. It's, it's, it's completely <laughs> the same thing because... It's the liberty <laughs> behind twenty-two points and nine assists from the great Sabrina Ionescu won their their season finale. They did what they had to do. Okay, that's like Britain surviving the Nazi blitz. You're just hanging in. You're doing what you have to do, and then you're waiting for miracles. So when Japan bombs Pearl Harbor and Hitler gets obsessed with Stalingrad. That was the Mystics losing. And that was like it was someone else. Okay, I make no apologies. No, no. It's not backing in. It was a heroic, a team that last year went like two and twenty. Does not need to apologize for how they got into the playoffs. They started the season like five and one, and then <laughs> went seven and nineteen. This it's more like the. It's not like World War Two. It's more like John Adams. Winning the presidential election in 1796, <laughs> entirely backing in uh, to a position that, frankly, he did not uh, deserve. Now, my only solace here. So, are you calling the Liberty the Marcus Smarts of the NBA? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying Marcus Smart would recognize the injustice of this, you know, and and why this is wrong. I I will say. I think they're going to get the shit kicked out of them, but it's only one game, so who knows, anything, you know? Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, whatever. They they. So the Mercury have Brittany Griner, and, uh, you know, they're a talented team. They seem like a yeah. more talented Diana team. Diana Taurasi. Oh, yeah. certainly. But um, particularly in posts, uh, you know, I think the Liberty are going to have serious problems. But my God, if they somehow go on a hot streak now, the unexpected right. hot streak, and a 12-20 and 20 regular season win team goes deep into the playoffs, you know, my injustice meter will be, <laughs> will be through the roof, honestly. Uh, you know, well, Let me console you, because if you look at the structure of the playoffs, it doesn't look good for the Liberty. So no, I know, I know. Chicago, the six-seed Chicago Sky are hosting... Seven-seeded Dallas Wings, and the winner will play the Minnesota Lynx in a one-game playoff. Yep. The Liberty are visiting, like you said, the Phoenix Mercury. If they win that game, they then have to play the Seattle Storm, who have won two of the last three titles. Yep. Um, and have I really have, you know... Uh, yeah. Obviously. They're so good. They're so good. So good. Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart. The lowest seed to advance then plays a best of five against the Connecticut Sun. The highest seed will play a best of five against the Las Vegas Aces. Um, are there any teams or players that you find yourself rooting for? Obviously, I'm, I'm rooting for the Liberty and Yanescu, but also there's Candace Parker, who I've loved since she played at Tennessee. 
Seattle, very likable with um, Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart. Well, and um, then Minnesota. Jewel Lloyd. Did you see Jewel Lloyd, Lloyd score 22 points in the first quarter? Yes, yes, and yes. I did see that. Stroking she was three. Swishing three after three. Yep. Yeah. Um, so all the way three point, you know. Oh, I, yeah. You know, it's funny. So I, I, I've tried to think about a lot about the WNBA and like, do I have a team? Do I have a player? It's hard for me to get super invested in a league unless I have a team that I can pin all my hopes and dreams on. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, which means I can hate everyone else and everything else, you know, <laughs> even while appreciating the, like I need the emotional, yeah. whatever, stab in the gut. Yeah. I, I really think it's a mistake that, you know, so the Connecticut's on our best team in the, in the in you know in the league, mm-hmm. I, I and I understand I guess I you know so <laughs> they're called the Sun I believe after the Mohegan Sun Casino, yes. right? Yes. There are some reasons to put a team in Connecticut, but I really think it's a mistake that New England's representative is not in Boston. I, I think that's a mistake, I, and I think that's stupid, and it yeah. limits the potential for. You know, and and whatever, maybe there was no real, you know, there were too many barriers to that. But you want to put the New England team in the the hub of New England, which is Boston, you know, and then so that people can get more invested. Uh, Otherwise, as it is, if you are someone who wants to, you know, who's watching a lot of WNBA and you're in the New York, any vaguely in the vicinity of New York, you'll gravitate toward the Liberty, which is the New York team. Mm-hmm. It really it limits the potential reach for what what actually has been, you know, just a really good consistent team that keeps winning, winning, and winning, which is the the Sun, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they should be. I don't think they should be in, um, in in Connecticut. I guess is my my complaint about them. I, I don't think they've lost since. What it's since July? It's been a while, you know, since they've July ninth or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's it's been a long time. A- anyway, what what do we think about that? Do we agree? You don't give a shit. You don't care. My 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 question is specifically with women's basketball. Like, like normally in in, in most circumstances, of course, like Boston is the hub over Connecticut, and I don't even know where the Mohegan Sun is. In Connecticut, but I, I have it, lost some money there. I'll, I mean, I'll, let, I'll tell you that right now. Now we know where all the hate's coming from. But hey. is there is there consideration to be paid to the fact that Connecticut is yeah, such I, a I big hub that. of women's college basketball? Like, is there a, a larger audience than one might normally expect for that product in that state? Given that there is already a long history of success and support for the college, it kind of makes me wonder, like. Like, I like the Charlotte Hornets, but I always used to wonder, like, does the NBA really need a team in North Carolina when you already have Duke and North Carolina and NC State? Like, there's such a college appetite already there. Like, the Hornets have not really been good enough long enough to really test how that fan base would respond to sustained success. You know New England better than I do. Um, Is there enough, you think? Is 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 it obvious that there's more support in Boston? 
for women's basketball than uh, there would I, be So in I understand what you're saying. My feeling is that the UConn fan base is a UConn fan base. I, okay. I, but okay. maybe maybe I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm not understanding. Definitely the dominance of the of that team of the Huskies. Mm-hmm. You know, right. So it, it creates a gravitational pull, you know? I, I would say though that there is no attention paid at all to the sun in the rest of New England. They they have mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they their best player is is the MVP is gonna you know is gonna win the John Quill Jones, you know, the Bosnian Bahamian superstar. Mm. I, 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 they're, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not fair. I don't mean to look down on, you know, Connecticut has some wonderful, I'm, I'm sure Hartford is a wonderful city to be in. I've driven past it many times, you know, on my way to bigger and better places. But I, you know. I, we were 49 minutes and 40 seconds into the show before Jonah alienated an entire metropolis, which is, a Jacobin record, I believe. That's the longest we've gone without offending hey. someone. So good job. Hartford good is job. many things. A metropolis <laughs> is not one of them. You know? Like, you know. <laughs> I imagine that's why the Whalers must have left. That is the best. The Whaler, you know, Brass Bonanza, the Whalers theme song was the best thing that ever happened to Hartford. I liked the Hartford Whalers. I was glad they existed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's stick with basketball and New England, but take it to a slightly different place. Um, I have a piece coming out on Celtic great Jason Tatum. and I'm so excited. In reading it and doing research, um, I learned some things that I, I was not entirely aware of. Um, he's obviously great, but when I started the piece, I was thinking like, well, he's great. But hypothesis, like do Tatum's you know numbers his first four years stack up with Celtic greats? at a position where they've been loaded like forever and they do um yeah you've seen you've seen tatum for years you've seen all these other players or you know of them paul pierce larry bird um there's john havlicek there's all these people do you have you had the idea that like like winning is is aside it's not one player's responsibility have you viewed tatum as yeah like he's that He's that he's on that level, and if so, if not, what do you need to see? And if if yes, when did you realize like yeah, he is he is that good? Let me, let me say this here. Here's the problem with numbers comparisons across generations. I'm trying to figure out. How, so Jason Tatum is a great player, a potential. He has the potential to be a multi-time MVP and a Hall of Fame player. I'll just yeah. say that he does. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, his numbers look unbelievable compared to everyone who came before, basically, in Celtics history. And that includes Paul Pierce and Larry Bird, you know, and John Havlicek, who has incredible, you know, longevity. But there are a lot of other players who time seems to have forgotten who were great for the Boston Celtics. Jojo White and Sam Jones and, right, you know, players besides Mm -hmm. the centers, besides the big men who deserve to be remembered. Basketball players are just better now. And I think there's a variety of things that go into that. But the shot-making ability today and the fundamentals are stronger than they have ever been before. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth, isn't it? I, I mean, am I wrong about that? No, players are better. Season, at, 
that sidestep three that he'll take from the 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 elbow is the elbow extended is not a shot. Like I think you you try to compare players to their eras because you can't translate things exactly. But the more I watch Tatum, he he makes shots with regularity that you don't want most great players trying because they're not going to make really it. That really is he does. He, he, even for today, I, I don't want to over. I don't want to exaggerate. I don't. Some of the the shot making ability and the variety of shots that he yep. can make and. It reminds me a little bit of Kevin Durant. That's all yeah. I'll say about yeah. that, right? I can see I, that. You know, who is the greatest shot maker, just, you know, shot maker in the league, the league has seen mm-hmm. in a long, you know, I mm-hmm. I love watching KD play, you know, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying he's, you know, better than LeBron, blah, blah, blah. That's not, mm-hmm. he probably is right now by this point, but I, I'm just... So he reminds you a little of KD, but comparison, like you're saying, across eras is so difficult. Because, I don't know, if Larry Bird played today, and I'm not trying to be defensive about Larry Bird, he would be a completely different player, right? He would shoot so many more threes. He would would take care of his body completely differently. He would be training completely differently. You could see he had the ability to, to be an incredible shot maker, and for his time, he was the best. There was no one better, you know, mm-hmm. in his era, in the mid-80s. So, I, you know, it's hard to make comparisons. Now, I will say, I do think Jason Tatum has this un- unbelievable potential, like, to do does. really remarkable things. And the sidestep three is a great example. <laughs> <laughs> that dog did Apparently not want to hear you talk about that no. sense of three. Stop it. He's if you see him now, and it's our you know the Instagram photos, whatever. He's he his shoulders were already so big, and now it looks like he's putting muscle on his frame. And what that could potentially mean for his ability to go to the basket, draw contact, and go to the line at an elite rate. At an elite rate, you combine mm-hmm. those things together because he actually doesn't have KD's body. That's not. Mm-mm. KD is is so long, but he's also so skinny, mm-hmm. you know. And Tatum could be much bigger. A- anyway, you put those things together, and he has, you know, could he average thirty five points a game? Maybe. You know, I that's not it's not a crazy thing to think. He's still so um, young. I know he's like twenty two. He's, he's nineteen. You know, forever. <laughs> <laughs> No, I know he is. He's so young. And, um, you know, can we just give Danny Ainge some credit? You know, the... No, the, no, we can't. The crazy Mormon did it. He did yeah. it, you know? <laughs> and and by it, I don't just mean the Mormon temple he built. Uh, Mormon, you know, I'm sorry. I, edit that part <laughs> out, Connor. <laughs> Me insulting. Uh, he and Mitt Romney somehow managed to build this huge, terrible... Mormon, it really ugly Mormon temple on in Belmont and outside of Boston on on Route Two, right on top of a hill. Yeah, it's not it's not pretty. Uh, but uh, but I digress. Yeah, Danny Ainge fleeced the world to get Jason Tatum, and Danny Ainge, who supposedly was in on Durant too over Odom, right, was supposed to be the only one who who saw it. Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge knows. 
Danny Ainge knows. Danny Ainge is the the fucking master of like letting the world know. Oh, I almost. Danny Ainge is that kid you knew in high school who like died a virgin, but was always talking about everyone he almost got with. That's Danny Ainge. That is such horseshit. Danny Ainge may die a virgin, you know, but every every, for five years it's been Danny Ainge is gonna get that. Danny Ange is in on this. Danny Ainge is gonna gonna get Anthony Davis. I, I, I think that's a lie. I think Danny Ainge, look, I, sorry, I, people are not going <laughs> to, look, he was smart. He, do you, really, you, so you think he should have traded the pick that became Jalen Brown for a shot for, for Paul George? He should have done that. That's what everyone wanted at the time. So, you know. <laughs> Let me ask you I, this. Let me ask you this. Oh, of course he shouldn't have. Go ahead. If he, if he made that trade and the Celtics two years ago won the title, is it worth it? They weren't going to win a title. No, no. I want 10 years of Tatum and Brown. I want 10 years of Tatum and Brown. Okay. I want to compete every year for the next 10 years, you know? Let me ask you another question then on that timeline because, and this factors into how extraordinarily young Tatum still is. If Tatum gets to the end of his max deal, he's 27, 28. Celtics are on a bit of a downward turn. It happens, you know, the Montreal the fuck? Canadians. What are you doing to me right now? What are you talking used to about? Domi- Notre Dame used to dominate. The Yankees used to dominate. Is it possible? Can you fathom in 2025 the Celtics being forced to trade Jason Tatum to a contender? He won't be 28 by then. He'll be... What? Did... <laughs> wow. <laughs> I-, I don't even know... <laughs> This is so ridiculous. The Celtics will be the contenders then. Uh, they'll be... Anyway, we'll see. All right. All right. That's fine. Just you, you're to asking me if this team is going to is gonna get sixered, you know, and, uh, uh, you no, know... Nobody thought the Sixers were going to get sixered before it happens. I, I did. I, I fucking knew it. You me hate the Sixers because you hate them so much. No, no. Much. <laughs> no. But people, people have... People have their, their... They have their blinkers on about mm. the about the about this Philadelphia team. And partly I get it. I mean, Joel Embiid is so likable. He's so likable. He's, he's very funny. Likeable. And he's a great, he's a dominant, dominant force. But always they've had these roster construction issues. They've had serious problems with chemistry, you know. And now I don't know what people are thinking. They're going to drive Ben Simmons out. I get it. That playoff loss was traumatic or whatever. Maybe, you know, you. <laughs> Anyway, so what what do they think is going to happen? They think they're going to get Dame Stoudemire back, and it's going to become, uh, you know, I'm I'm skeptical that this is going to turn out well. And I think driving Ben Simmons away is a big mistake. But what do I know? What do I did know? You, did you, you mean know? Damian Dame Stoudemire or Dame Lillard? Oh my God! Wow, because my brain was like, wait, did Stoudemire play on the Sixers? I was trying to remember. That. <laughs> you want to know why I I did that? Why? Is because Dame Stoudemire just got officially named an assistant coach for the Celtics. So I've had Dame Stoudemire. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. He, it was a very successful college head coach. At, uh, yeah. Was it at Pacific? Yeah. And Ime Udoka, so. is, yeah. Ime Udoka has built a staff entirely made up of uh, people from the Pacific Northwest, interestingly. Hmm. Ime Udoka is a Portland guy, or he went okay. to Portland State. And so it's like, all of the people have some connection to the Pacific Northwest. Isn't that interesting? That Including is Dame Stoudemire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I meant Dame Lillard, who, let's be honest, of the dames that have 
played the point guard position for the, the Portland Trail Blazers. Dame Stoudemire cannot, he does not compare to Dame Lillard, right? Mighty Mouse uh, had some good moments, but he was not Damian Lillard. He did have some good moments. He did have some good moments. They called him My- Mighty Mouse because he was what, like five, like five seven ten. Or something? Yeah, he was. He was, he was like was Isaiah tiny. Thomas, but not. Mm-hmm. He's he's a small, small little man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I mean that completely, you know, in the nicest <laughs> possible way. Right. Uh, anyway, yeah. he used to torture the 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 Jordan Bulls. He tortured that team. Is that true? Uh, yeah. Oh, they, I, I, I didn't even remember never that. beat them, but Stoudemire would little. Little quick point guards like that always gave Phil Jackson teams trouble, and he used to kill Chicago. Um, Why? Why? Because so you mean during the Ron Harper years? I guess that would have been yeah. um, And why? Because they were he would it just wasn't he was too small and quick. He was so quick. Ron Harper was a big guard. Harper was was a a good defender, very good defender. I think Stoudemire gave him trouble because he was also he was an excellent um, pull up shooter. And pull right. up from three at a time where like not that many guards were doing that, and he just he was so shifty off the drill. He used to kill them. He always did. Um, let me get let's close let's close with a, a listener email, Jonah. Um, okay. And this will touch a bit more on the Ben Simmons thing. This is from Sam Goldberg. Sam Goldberg writes: After Matthew's constant haranguing, I am here sending a non-spam email. I have a few points to make. One. Jonah is a good podcaster, but an awful boggle player. Matthew, you are invited <laughs> to play tonight on our Zoom boggle that Jonah may be too embarrassed to admit he joins. Jonah Birch, will you admit now on the air, are you or have you ever been a member of the boggle playing public? Listen, I am. I, so, I, you know, I play with these friends, including Sam Goldberg, who's a, okay. a friend from college. Okay. Who they humiliate me on a regular basis, and I think it's like they're putting a college professor like in his place kind of thing. Because I, <laughs> I, 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 but I'll say this: so we 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 are involved in a number of you know kind of mental mental games, mental exercises. Mm-hmm. They f- crush me at boggle, but I am so much better at trivia than they are. I mean, so much better. There's no I, mention you know, of that in Sam Goldberg's email. He did he does he mention that? No, he, he didn't does say not. that. He does not mention. No, no, that. I know he wants to focus on the negative. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I am I am a I am an awful Boggle player. God, Boggle is hard, and they do these like you five word minimums. So yeah. you have to you can and it's just my brain is not set up that way. I don't know what to say. I don't see the patterns. You know, Your brain this is, is not a beautiful mind right here. <laughs> you know. Well, maybe I'm, maybe question two will be more to your liking. He okay, says, I assume you will be I assume you will be discussing Ben Simmons at some point. Can we all agree he is definitely coming to the Wizards to create a super team of Bradley Beal, Simmons, and Daniel Gafford? I think <laughs> a Simmons for uh Rui Hichimura, David Bertans, Davis Bertans, <laughs> and either Spencer Dinwiddie, not tradable till December, or Kyle Kuzma, plus some picks makes sense. Then the Wiz become consensus number three team in the East. The masses are yearning for more Wizards talk. Jonah, give the people what they want. <laughs> what do you make of this Wizards notion? Um, that's obviously ridiculous. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but, I, you know, it, it is an interesting question. Do you think the Wizards will be any better this year? Minus Russell Westbrook with 
Spencer Dinwiddie and, you know, a little bit of you know, development time for their young players. Probably, probably not. Probably I about the same. Yeah. I don't think they'll have a better record. I think they have more depth and I think there's more reason for them to be like hopeful about the future because they're not, they're not just saddled with Westbrook's contract. And they have now, I think with him gone more opportunities for Hichimura and Denny Avdia um, and, and some of their younger players to have more opportunities. But I don't think like they were a play in team last year. I don't see that happening. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie is coming off an ACL. He's a great player. He might be fine for them, but like, I don't I think about a great player. He's a good. Uh, you're player. right. You're right. He's no, no, I misspoke. He's not a great player. He is at his best, like a good player, a pretty, a pretty good player, actually. But I don't think you can. Westbrook was playing, you know, a triple double every night level to get them barely into the the playoffs. Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't think is doing that. Um, and they've yeah. they've drafted. You know Ichimura. He was he has some intriguing stuff, but like none of their young players at this point look like foundational stars. So I don't think they'll be better. Um, but I do think their future outlook is better having made the trade. Yeah, I mean they have some pieces, you know, potentially. Mm-hmm. I, it'll be interesting. And I, I, this is a landmine I don't want to step on, but it'll be interesting to see what Bradley Beal does and mm-hmm. if, if he continues to want to stick around there. I, the, the thing about the Ben Simmons situation is that there is no natural destination for him, is there? I, you know, that's, so maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe the Wizards are, you know, I, I mean, we're headed for, for a showdown, obviously. Yep. He's all of the noises. He's not gonna. He's not showing. He's, he's not. not reporting to camp. He's not. Daryl Morey is not gonna give him away. Where does he go? I I, I honestly don't. I know. have the answer for you. I know where it's. Oh going. wow! I, I'm is telling it, you. Is it the Knicks? It's not. I'm no. telling you how this is gonna end. He's gonna end up in Sacramento. Well, they're gonna trade check. Marvin Begley and Buddy Heald and probably a pick. And they're going to get Simmons, and Philly's going to get Bagley and Heald. Why do you want Marvin Bagley right now? Is that a. I mean, the Heald thing. Do I want him if I'm the Sixers? Yeah. Uh, Here's what I would say How do you feel about a Bagley and Bead pairing? I feel okay with it because. And Bead is not, you know, Shaq. He's not. In the paint or nothing. Bagley can score. Obviously, this isn't about that I think Bagley is, is, you know, all that great or whatever. But I think when you're the Sixers, like, if the fundamental thing Philadelphia needs to win at all is they need Embiid to be healthy. For Embiid to be healthy, they have to be able to sit him as much as possible. To sit him as much as possible, they got to have someone else who can score. Because they're such a good defensive team. I think a player like Bagley fits better with them than most because they don't need Bagley to be worthy of the second pick in the draft like Sacramento does. If Bagley can score 17 or 18 a game on a good team, he's a decent rebounder. Um, If he can do all that, that might be enough for what they need. What the Sixers need is not to go into next season with Tobias Harris as their second best 
offensive player. Like, they can't have that. So, if you had healed, great. You've got shooting. If you have, to me, it's not about that's an awesome trade. It's about, I don't see any other trade you can make. Unless it's a three-team deal where stuff's getting rerouted all over, I don't see one other team, unless maybe with Portland, Lillard says he wants out, and now you work something out with them. But, like, I just feel like, I also feel like on some level, Philadelphia's got to feel like, you know what, Ben Simmons? Fuck you. We're sending you to Sacramento. Have fun. Well, but... So, first of all, I, it's you know, now you're making me think. I mean, the problem with Bagley, besides the injury stuff, he's regressed since his rookie year, right? To be it's fair, not just that he isn't... To be fair to him, though, all that time yeah, has come in Sacramento. Like, No, I know, I know. <laughs> so, it's the land of regression. It is. You know, just to insult another... Uh, and so, and and I I do like the Buddy healed, you know, on the shooter. Sixers. It's like, yep. you know, people have been demanding more shooting from them for years. Mm-hmm. You can't get much more shooting than no, you can't. You know, between him and Seth Curry, and uh, there's a lot going on there. Yep. Why should Philadelphia feel aggrieved by Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons is the victim here, is he not? No, I, he's not the victim. He is the victim. How is he the victim? victim. What is he the victim of? You know, they just... The the, the constant negativity. I'm going to sound like Rick Pitino in this speech (laughs) before he quit being Celtics coach. I I just... You know, they they were looking for a scapegoat for that team last year because they got beat by the Hawks. And yes, he performed like shit in the playoffs. And yes, he has regressed. And yes... You know, there are issues, obviously, around his shooting. You know, he shot what? How many threes did he shoot last year? He shot a few. He shot, he shot what, a five, few. six? He shot a few. Maybe uh, we should look it up, exactly how many. Uh, you know, all of those things are issues. I don't know if Doc Rivers is the right coach for Ben Simmons. I don't think Philadelphia is the right city. That's probably fair. I don't think the team, with, with Embiid being the force that he is, and, you know, and even Embiid has gotten pissed at that fan base at times, right? Yeah. You know, and, but uh, I, I, it just is the wrong situation. And whatever cost them that series against the Hawks, it was not just, you can't just pin it all on, on Ben Simmons. I, I, no, I no, it, I wasn't, it wasn't just Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons last year took 10 three-pointers and he made three of them. Okay, well, you know, you can build on that. 61% at the foul line. Um, got there more than anyone but Embiid. The 10 that he took last year was not a career high. His rookie year, he was 0 for 11. In his wow. career, he is now 5 of 34. He's, he's 15% on threes, and he's 60% on free throws. And in the playoffs, at least against the Hawks, that was closer to like 30-something percent. Um I'll say this about Simmons. I agree with you that I don't know if Doc Rivers is the coach for him, and I don't think Philadelphia is a great market for a lot of people, and I don't think Simmons was ever interested in playing the PR game the way that Embiid is really good at. But I think with Embiid, it's not just the regression. It's not just, well, he had a bad series against the Hawks. It's like Julius Randle had a terrible series against the Hawks, and nobody wants to trade him. I think the two things that really work against Simmons – one is there's been no improvement in his time in the league. This isn't I like mean, like Jason Kidd couldn't shoot, 
Jason Kidd never became a great shooter, but he became a workable shooter at least. And and Marcus yeah. Smart, not a great shooter, but a guy who like he can hit a big shot. If it, Simmons has never no no ever come Mark, close. Marcus Smart is now an an above average yeah. shooter. There's been improvement. Actually, outshot the last three years is outshot a surprising number of people, both yeah. in terms of volume and percentage. Yeah. Simmons doesn't do that. Anyway, sorry. You're paying him no, to be doesn't. a max, and he doesn't play like one, and he's not improving like one. And, and I would say this is the biggest thing. He did not, to me, I found, I understand completely what his feelings may have been after uh, Embiid made reference to him passing up that dunk, and Doc Rivers was asked if, Simmons is a championship level point guard, and he says we have to see. I can get why that yeah, would bother Everyone him. blamed him. Everyone was anyway. Go ahead. I get go that, ahead. but to be fair, like if you look at the Sixers in the playoffs last year, like it's not the biggest role on the team is Embiid. Embiid's not to blame for what went wrong with them. Um, other players, smaller roles, like if 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 Tyrese Maxey doesn't play great, okay, but he's not a huge. Ben Simmons is their second most valuable player and he played terribly and shows no interest in improving. And he's the one in the off season who has completely torpedoed. If he doesn't say anything and I'm not at all advocating like athletes shouldn't talk, but the point is just pragmatically, if your interest is, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of this anymore. Then, you know, torpedoing your trade value doesn't make it more likely that they can get rid of you. Like if you want to go, you help the team by at least being quiet or maybe even saying the right things, knowing behind the scenes they're working to trade you. Now, everybody knows you're in an open like conflict with them. Everybody knows that that Simmons only wants to go to the good teams in California, none of whom can fit him in or want him. And now you're in a situation where you said, I'm not coming, I'm not coming to play. He's put the Sixers in a position of what are they supposed to do? I, I am almost always on the side of players in this circumstance, but I don't know what Ben Simmons wants or how he thinks this offseason is going to make it more likely that he or the Sixers have any say about where he goes. I just like, I, fair enough. That's all fair. It's just been months and months and months of an entire city and a lot yeah. of NBA commentators just endlessly shitting on Ben Simmons. Agreed. And yes. some, including some people who I would be like, mm, I would take it down a notch, my guy. You know, I, yeah. I you know, and um, and the idea that you know whatever, like he he's responding to what he's gotten, you know, which is yeah, that's fair. N- nothing but shit. Now I hope Ben Simmons enjoys Sacramento. Maybe. We what do we know? We're a bunch of East Coasters, and yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe what are the Maloof brothers doing right now? You know, uh, (laughs) nothing good. Maybe we are totally unfair. Maybe Sacramento could be lovely. It's grown a lot, you know, in recent decades. I bet it has a some fun nightlife. You know, maybe that's a nice place. Maybe that's a nice place. All these things are possible. Gold Rush Town, an old Gold Rush Town, right? right? Wasn't it? Uh, I believe so. I yeah. Believe so. I don't know. Everything in California was a, you know, it was gold rush, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. 
Well, I think we've covered it all today, Jonah. I don't think there's anything yes, left have. to say. So uh, please look out for the... I did a Jason Tatum and a Cade Cunningham piece. Those will both be dropping oh, at Fansided soon. Also this week. Wait, have... what do you say about Cade Cunningham? Can you give us a... So, yeah, so he's really interesting because if you go back in the draft, basically for 40 years, there have only... so. Most top draft picks overall, at least in the last 20 years, have had little to no success leading their teams in the playoffs with any meaningful minutes. It's almost nobody. And especially if you take Cunningham's size at 6'8", and you go back 40 years, the only players who have been taken number one overall at his size who had any meaningful role on a playoff team are um, LeBron from 03. Glenn Robinson from 94, and then you got to go back to James Worthy in 82. So, like, it just doesn't happen a lot, and it's a different game and everything, but, like, it's very interesting to me to see this wing, this jumbo-sized wing, being asked to turn around this franchise. And on the one hand, there's not a lot of history for it, but on the other hand, if you look at... um, Detroit actually has a number of really interesting, intriguing young players. They have Killian Hayes, they have Sadiq Bey, they have Isaiah Stewart... Um, they have, uh, a couple others, Diallo, um, who's from New York actually, and someone else. And so I was also comparing when Detroit drafted Isaiah Thomas first 30 years ago, Thomas did not want to go to Detroit. He, he basically tried to sabotage, he sabotaged his Q and A with Jack McCloskey because the Bulls were drafting fourth and he really wanted to go to his hometown team. And halfway through the Q and A, McCloskey's like, look, I know what you're doing. I'm drafting you anyway. We're going to get other people. It's going to be fine. And they did. The team that Thomas joined as a rookie had Vinnie Johnson and Bill Ambeer. And the point is that like Cunningham is on one level working against history, but at least he's joining a team that like does have a base of talent, talent that I think works well with his skills um, because he basically can do kind of some of everything. So that's what the Cade Cunningham piece is going to focus on. Um, you know, they do have... Dennis Smith Jr. No, which is uh, an exciting. No, no, not anymore. He just signed with. Oh, is he gone? Portland. He's on Portland, I believe. Um, um I, I also I, I need to challenge you on the uh, on the um, the Pistons had no one besides you know who did you say you said you said the microwave the, and the Bill Lambert. Isaiah's first year they had they added Lambeer and Vinnie Johnson. What about wasn't. Kelly Trapuca on the, those teams. Kelly Trapuca was on those teams. Trapuca, Trapuca. He was and, not. Uh, um, there I'm was not another. Sh- there was another white guy. Another. Well, there were a lot of white guys on those teams. <laughs> there is, I looked them up, man. I looked them up. Fuck, um, I'm gonna. <laughs> this is gonna kill me. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Ken so Benson. Got, Ken yes, Benson was on. Ken Benson is there too. Um, <laughs> You're probably the first person in 40 years to yell the name Ken Benson with any excitement at all. Uh, I also have later this week my Tom Thibodeau short story in the style of Borges is dropping at both sites, the Strickland and posting. And I was very proud. I was able to work in a bit of the screenplay from North by Northwest into that movie. So if you've ever seen North by Northwest, there's a beautiful scene when Cary Grant is first in the food car on the train 
um, with Eve Marie Saint. I think yeah. is her name. And it's a nice face. Yeah, or something. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I yeah. got that whole. I took. I got all that dialogue into a, a fictional scene between Thibodeau Can and I ask a, you a, a woman courtside. When, when yes. we are not podcasting, do you do a lot of drugs? Because I, I love your <laughs> ideas, and I feel like only a serious amount of LSD could inspire these kinds of connections. I, I, will, it, I will acknowledge that I haven't done LSD in a very long time, which is okay. also a way of acknowledging that I have done it. Um, yeah, sure. So By a very long time, you mean like a week or two? or what? what sadly, sadly, LSD is a long time ago. Um, there, are other, <laughs> there are other substances, and we can talk about those next week. Um, yeah. Good. But for now, this sense. was conceived entirely in a, in a sober state of mind. Um, wow. Yeah, so look out for that. That should be fun. Um, so that is all for this week's episode. Please remember to follow Jonah Birch on Twitter at JonahB1793. And to follow me, you can go to at MMiranda613. Follow the Jackman Sports Show on Twitter too, at Jackman Sports. And just like Sam today, email us any thoughts, questions, suggestions, or Washington Wizards talk to JacobinSports at gmail.com. Our producer is the captain to our Tennille, Connor Gillies. That is all for this week's episode. We will see you, I think, next week with a very exciting guest. I am just waiting to confirm. Um, but keep an eye out on Twitter because that news will hopefully be dropping also sooner than later. So everybody take care and we will see you in about a week. <laughs> <laughs>